You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the Double Edge Double Bill. This week, 2021, ends with me, you, and Werewolf Madness. week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 or to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam Thomas, and I'm more like a cute little puppy dog inside. Just a little puppy. And I am Thomas Mariani, and hello, what the fucking ears? Yes, that's a reference to WTF with Mark Marin, another podcast. I know I'm stealing something directly, but guess what? I'm going to point it out, therefore, it makes it very clever and insightful. Oh, God. <laughs> <sighs> oh, oh, folks, you have no idea. Get ready. Get ready for us to talk about that. But welcome to the Double Edge Double Bill, where, you know, we cover a good and a bad pick related to whatever topic we're doing. And this is the last episode of 2021, uh, so um, a happy new year on coming to everybody uh, with 2022. Let's try and make it better. That's all we yeah. can do, is try. Literally the best we could do. Yep, that's true. Uh, that's better than some people are doing, to actually try and make things better. But, 2021, looking back on it in terms of film... It's very interesting because, you know, we did this last year, obviously, and we do this every year. We're in the middle of the year. We talk about movies that came out in the year, and at the end, we kind of do another catch-up. Every six months, we try and do that. And it's interesting with 2021 because, obviously, we'd had 2020 and the pandemic, and we didn't really go to theaters that often. And 2021 has been just this weird, I guess, much like with everything else, like this weird sliding scale of like are things back to normal maybe not maybe they are and down to we're recording this the weekend of spider-man no way home coming out which is both set to be an incredibly big box office earner for the pandemic but also come out in the middle of sudden worries about the omicron variant and stuff like that so uh kind of it's a appropriate note for the year to end on i guess in film in general with that kind of worry yeah yeah I just, uh, I just want it all to be over, man. <laughs> just, oh God, enough. But, you know, it, it was, I will say, out of the three, you know, years and change we've been doing this, every time we do one of these, um, I, I'm, I'm kind of limited on what I've seen as far as that came out this year, the year that we were doing. I think I've seen more this year than I've seen and I mean, I can't even tell you when. I mean, even if I went to the show, I don't know, four or five times, which for me is a lot. But then with all the straight to streaming stuff and then getting hooked up on my voodoo and things like that, like I got to see a lot this year. Yes. Yeah, it helps out that we did our Patreon show, patreon.com slash pod. We do On the Edge of Relevance, uh, where for $1 a month you can listen to, amongst several other bonus podcasts and stuff, us talking about modern movies uh, that have come out. We'll probably reference that a bit more as we get to the close of the show. But yeah, and I think as someone who's seen at least a solid amount of movies this year, I can say that 
even more so than 2020, I have the most diverse range of movies I really dug this year. I think especially because certain things have broken out that are like weird indie hits that I never would have really, I think, even been able to see. But I was able to see in a theater just because theaters were kind of desperate when certain blockbusters weren't coming out. So I'm able to see weird, cool, artsy shit that I was still able to catch in certain other years. Those movies got a bit more attention just because, well, some other blockbuster got delayed again. Oh, what's this weird fucking movie that's, say, in French and involves a woman trying to discover herself and automobiles? I'll get to that yeah, in a yeah. bit. Yes, yeah. for sure. <laughs> um, but but yeah, so at, at the very least, it's there's a lot of interesting movies uh, that we could cover for this week. And uh, we have two very interesting ones. Interestingly, two movies that are a little bit more related than I would figure because they're both dark comedies that came out this year that have a lot of gore in them and also uh, are about 97 minutes long each. One of them feels like that. <laughs> yes, one of them feels like a brisk 97 minutes. <laughs> yep, and like a comedy. And like a comedy, that's true, yes. Uh, and so we'll be talking about, um, in order here, first our bad pick we picked at the end of our last episode, which was chosen uh, by me, uh, Me You Madness. Um, and then we'll be talking about the good pick that Adam chose along with our Patreons at patreon.com slash gedvpod. They voted for, uh, Werewolves Within as the good pick. And keep in mind, uh, that as with any time we do movies that are uh, released within the year we're talking about them, it's fair to pull up a spoiler warning for both of them, um, because they're a bit more recent and maybe not seen by as many people. And especially the good one we're talking about, it's a bit more of like a mystery. So there's a whole reveal and everything like that. So fair warning with especially that one. Uh, you probably won't give a shit about knowing everything about the bad movie, though. So uh, why, don't we go ahead, why don't we go ahead and get started with that? Let's go ahead and uh, get started with our first feature, Me, You, Madness. My name is Catherine Black. You may think that I'm a materialistic, narcissistic, self-absorbed misanthrope. I don't deny it. I'm a hedge fund manager. I'm addicted to fashion, the accumulation of money, exercise, and sex. My life is incredible. Hi. I have an appointment about running the room. Nice digs. You got a plastic Mustang? How did I not see it coming? You thieving little twit. Oh, I have to pull myself together. I think I'm going to disembowel this kid and kill him. You stole from me. You're crazy. That really escalated. No! I'm madly in love with you. I really appreciate that. Maybe we should get married. So Me You Madness came out February 12th, 2021. Uh, from director, writer, producer, star Louise Linton, who is an actress traditionally. She's been in stuff like the Cabin Fever Shot for Shot remake she was apparently in. Uh, but most people might know her from her starring turn in that one photo you saw of Steve Mnuchin, our former secretary treasurer, next to a blonde woman. And they were holding this big giant thing. And it's like, oh, it's the first one with my signature on it. And you were like, oh, this seems like opulence and wealth gone awry and chaos. This is going to be a terrible administration. And uh, it turns out she was uh, there because she's the wife of Steve Mnuchin. Yep. 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 Oh, that, and that, boy. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that's that's who made this. Uh, and uh, it's interesting because Mnuchin doesn't have a credit on this particular movie, though he's no stranger to film producing. Like, he's mainly an investment banker before he became Secretary-Treasurer of the United States. But before that, he had a lot of stake in particularly films from Warner Brothers. Uh, just a few movies he has executive producer credits on because he bankrolled a lot of uh, movies from Warner Brothers. The Lego Movie, American Sniper, Batman vs. Superman, the first two Annabelles, and uh, Mad Max Fury Road as well. Jesus Christ, man. What a collection of movies. Yeah. <laughs> and interestingly, he was also the co-chairman of Relativity Studios, uh, though he conveniently had to resign seven months before they went bankrupt because he had that White House job that he had to do. Phew! <laughs> I mean, I, I can't believe that he would, you know, be a part of some big thing that required a, like him to be very key in supporting the jobs and the well-being of people. Uh, and then he left after he fucked it up. He would never do that again. No, that's the one thing you could say about him. He's not a he's not a habitual asshole. No, not at all. A great administration, wonderful, perfect. So many great people. Um, satire, parody, satire. Uh, but enough about the politics, Adam, because we're here to talk about true art in Me You Madness, uh, which the basic premise of it is uh, Louise plays this woman named Catherine, who's like a hedge fund manager that's a super um, girl bossy, very much sort of that corporate version of quote-unquote, like, feminism in terms of just, like, oh, ladies can do anything a man can do. Um, but in this case, it's, they can be horrible psychopathic murderers who are super rich and live in these weird distant houses where the, most of the movie takes place um, and apparently eat people, but also want to try and get people to sit their house who end up being uh, thieves in their own right, which is the case with Tyler, played by Ed Westwick, uh, who is basically trying to case the joint so he can... Uh, steal all her stuff whenever she's gone um, from her house. But he gets a bit too um, you know, caught up in the feels, as it were, and in her own madness as she like parties with him and all this other stuff. Uh, and then it gets all, you know, very American psycho-y. Um, even from the start, it's like that. Um, and Adam... Yeah? I messaged you multiple times before you saw this film, and even when we recorded our last episode, and I had seen this film. Um, and I told you several times, I'm sorry... Because uh, spoilers, this movie's terrible. And I'll just reiterate now that you have seen the film. Um, I'm sorry, once again, because this is easily one of the worst films we've ever done for this show. You know, I'm not going to accept your apology. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> you could just straight go fuck yourself. Um, like I was saying before we even started recording, like, we've watched a lot of shit for this show. Like, a lot. Weekly, you know, typically. I don't know if this is the absolute worst. Oogie Loves is still just, oh, God. But this is on the Mount Rushmore of dog shit we've seen for this show, for sure, 100%. It's terrible. It starts off bad. I mean, first of all, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. If your movie has to have a constant underscore to push the movie along, you know you got a problem. And this movie has that. It also has the most obscene amount of needle drops potentially ever and half of them are really shitty covers of 80s songs and the other are the official songs uh so it's very jarring and yo we get it dude like you think you're hot you think you're fucking super sexy like okay cool the whole movie is just her showing off her body basically right which is like that's not the most offensive thing to me though 
about no, no, it's, there not are the, no people, it's not the most right there are plenty of people the who make like these vanity projects that are just like oh hey here's me showing off me in my prime or whatever and that's all fine and good that can be interesting fun cinema in its own right the bigger problem is that like she is doing this in a way where like the way i can describe this movie is it feels like if you're in a social situation where you're with a group of people and you're all having fun you're all making like trading off jokes maybe back and forth and then one person makes a really dark joke that goes way yeah. too far from what you were talking about. And everyone else naturally reacts like, what the fuck are you talking about? And they're like, Jesus, guys, it was a joke. I thought we were having fun here. This movie come, uh... is a weird fucking tell on your own ass, Louise Linton. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. And then there's like, <laughs> I hate this movie so much. <laughs> the idea that there's a line in this movie where she grabs a chainsaw and she names off all the Texas Chainsaw movies. And she's like, oh, man, maybe we can get some new ideas, Hollywood. Wait a minute, motherfucker. You said in the beginning of your very own movie, this is American Psycho, but with a female. You literally say those lines, that you are basically copying American Psycho. But that's the that's the part. whole problem with the movie, is that like so much of it is her saying that she's in on the joke while being a complete hypocrite about it at the same time. But the fact that she acknowledges yeah. it at him multiple times, like, oh, I'm a weirdo rich person. Aren't rich people weird? But I'm kind of cool, right, because I'm hot, and also this guy thinks I'm hot and thinks I'm a pretty cool person, despite the fact that I'm a cannibal, awful piece of shit person. So I'm actually kind of secretly great. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And then she farts in his face. <laughs> in a scene. But that shows that she's not totally, like, altogether like a hot lady. Like, oh, she can fart too. She's, an, she's a human. I have faults. I mean, <laughs> just the ego on play here is just so extreme to me. Where she actually has the line, whoever wrote this in movie is a fucking genius. Like, okay. All right. Just the way it almost feels like she was trying as hard as she could to, like, in movie, distance herself from sort of, you know, the Republican Trump administration to where she even makes a joke about Republicans. And then the final speech is ridiculous, where it's like, and I don't want to judge people about their bodies or their race or, or their ethnicity. Like, yes, dude, the whole movie was that. Well, well, no, because that's a character arc, Adam, you see, because she took anti-psychotic medication and therefore now she's a totally great person, doesn't have to work on herself at all. Yeah, it's a cure-all, I forgot. Yes, right, exactly. That's that's the thing, is like, even you talk about, like, that joke, in the middle, like, there's, okay, there's so many points where it's oh, just God. Louise Linton talking to the audience in, like, an American Psycho style way. As you mentioned, they name-check the movie at a certain point. And it's just, like, her making lists of things, like, this is a page from Ready Player One. I'm just like, let me list all the movies in which, like, oh, I was going to use this gun, but it's a cliche. Let me list all of the movies in which a gun is used, and that's the joke. She's like, I'm listing a bunch of movies you know. Like, Lethal Weapon, 1, 2, 3, and 4. And Deadpool, 1, 2, and probably 3 will use the same gun. Wink, isn't this fun? Like, there's so many times where it's like that, or with the joke you're talking about, where she lists off the reasoning why she killed a bunch of people. And it goes from, like, oh, that person was a pedophile or whatever, all these other things, to... Oh, that one was a Republican. That one was a Democrat. That one was um, someone who left their dog in the car. And then she breaks the fourth wall to give us a fake jokey PSA about not putting your dog in the car so Ed Westwick could escape. Like, there's so many of these things where, like, this feels like a person who is way too old to be making a, like, dumb student film that, like, a 19-year-old would make. 
making one of those dumb student films. But the difference is that person doesn't have the money. And despite the fact this movie's terrible and ineptly made by Louis Linton, it doesn't look cheap. It looks like they clearly spent money on it. Yeah, no, they clearly they clearly put some money into it. Like it, it's it's obvious. Like they had some kind of a budget to work. It's just so piss poorly shot, though. Like it's so bland looking. Like the camera, it's an HD image, but oh, this movie. When your best shots in the movie are what are clearly drone shots, yes. you know that you're kind of fucked. Because those are the only shots where it's like, oh, this looks kind of interesting, but it's a fucking drone. Just the, the final sort of confrontation between the two of them, it drags on so bad. They, they literally take breaks in the middle of it, like, I think like four times, maybe even more. And it's just, it's so fucking bad. It's so bad and not funny. And then Ed Westwick starts breaking the fourth wall. And she's like, don't do that. Only I can do that. Oh, my God. Shit that's, like, embarrassing. Like It's embarrassing. It's shit embarrassing. that, like, you, like, I'll admit, like, there were points where I wrote dumb, like, jokes or stuff like that. I thought that would have been funny at, like, maybe 15. But, like, sure. I grew out of that. As opposed to, like, this is a movie from someone who... Their mind was blown by watching Deadpool, but instead of being, like, a 15-year-old, they were, like, 35. Yeah. And then... The Ed Westwick dance scene. Now, in theory, that could have been kind of fun. You know what I mean? Where he wakes up, he's in such a great mood, he puts on this old 80s jam, and he's dancing throughout the house and everything. I get it. It's a silly gag. But... It's the entire length of the fucking song. I don't need it. It just the bits. Oh, my God. Oh, God. It's so hard to even talk about it. It's painful. This movie just causes pain Um, to everyone. And it, it just every bit carries on for minutes too long. Way too long. Every single fucking bit. This whole movie feels like it's a Jay Leno monologue. Where it's constantly, have you seen this? Have you heard about this? No, I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It tells the punchline eight times. I, I missed the comedic panache of Jay Leno watching this film. I missed the comedic panache of, like, most fucking terrible comedians in this in other situations. Because we've talked about this, that, like, the worst kind of movie to watch is a bad comedy. Where, like, yes. you're not laughing. Because you can't make fun of that. We love making fun of movies on the show. But the difference is we tend to do that with like a bad horror movie, a bad sci-fi movie, bad like drama action movies where they're not trying to be that consistently funny. When a comedy is failing so hard to be funny, it's like... On every conceivable level. It it hurts so much. So much. 90 whatever minutes and change. Dude, I swear to God, I felt like I was watching this for two and a half hours. Like, it, it is one of the biggest slogs I've ever had to go through. And then when I'm describing it, like, to my uh, my ex-wife and my brother, I tell them what I'm watching. Of course, you know, my ex is instantly like, what's it called? Where can I watch it? Because she lives in terrible films. My brother, I get four-word response. Wait. What? How and why? And that's it. And then I told him, I was like, no, it's real. And he never responded again. I think I killed him. (laughs) What the movie is. This episode's dedicated to Adam's brother. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, 
I just, oh my God. Like you said, it's so painfully unfunny and so painfully fucking self-masturbation ego trip. And none of it works. Not a thing of it works. Nothing in this movie works. It's not funny. The leads are completely unlikable, both the actors and the characters. And it's just, it's a one-note film that tries to be so hard to be like hip and edgy and and in on it and, you know, fourth wall breaking and, oh, look how fucking smart and witty we are. Yo, you're not. You're literally just copying tropes of everything that's come before you and trying to turn it into something self-reflective and reverential. And it's just, it doesn't work at all. It just comes across, like I said, like this horrible vanity project. Like she's the evil queen from Snow White, dude. It would be, but if like the evil queen from Snow White was like, hey, guess what? I'm an evil queen. I know that might be a cliche, but you know what? I can admit it. Therefore, I'm great. And here's my ass. Here's my ass a whole bunch of times. <laughs> Man, I don't know that Disney remake coming out. I'm sure that's what Gal Gadot's yeah. going to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Gal Gadot. Yeah, that's what she's doing. Mayor, Mayor, look at my ass. <laughs> oh, no. Louise Linton has a writing credit on that Snow White movie. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, no. These are the type of movies that I are the hardest to watch, most painful to watch. For for really every reason involved. It's not funny. It's not well acted. It's not well shot. It's poorly written. And it's such, like I said, such a vanity project that feels like it comes from dirty money. Right. Honestly, the, the only thing, like, keeping my interest whatsoever is just the knowledge of, like, this is the wife of the former Secretary Treasury. That's the only reason I was even interested to watch it, once you right. explained what it was. I'm like, what the fuck? Okay, I gotta see this. Right. I really wish I had. <laughs> I mean, to Adam, to be fair, we have this rule on the show of the Godfather rule. Where we had a veto, and at the end of the last episode, you had used your one veto on that Cinderella movie that came out this year that it was my alternate choice, and we ended up with Me, You Badness. Do you regret that veto in retrospect? Yes, I do. In a way. In a way. Let me explain. One is because I had to watch this fucking thing. Right, That's I think that's the natural number one reason why. <laughs> right, but I would have instantly forgotten the Cinderella movie, probably. I don't think I'll ever forget that this movie, that I've seen this movie, that this movie exists. So it it, 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 it scarred me, but at least it leaves some kind of a lasting impression, I guess. I mean, that's true because of the origin of it and because of the fact that, like, this is not an incredibly cheap movie, despite how terrible it is. That's why I will at least say there is a mild fascination to be found in that this is this weird <laughs> object that kind of like, it, it's a weird thing where so many movies have kind of tried to capture the Trump age in a more direct way about like, oh, we like are making a sort of slant metaphor or we kind of bring it up or a lot of movies don't even bother with it. Um, I can safely say that if someone wanted to say, hey, what is sort of the movie of that like summarized the Trump administration to me, it is this movie. Because yep. it's vapid, so much money was wasted, anyone who watches it is hurt by it, and ultimately, it is just like a complete regurgitation of so much other bullshit from other pop culture things that's nostalgic for like the 80s, and also has like so many weird warped visions of what humanity should and could be, and what being self-aware to any degree is. 
Um, it's it is just sort of like this vapid, awful ninety eight minute representation of everything, like twenty sixteen to twenty twenty at the very least was. No, I completely agree with you. You know how during the Trump presidency, when someone would throw a question towards him that he didn't know the answer to, he'd always give like the same response. That's how I feel like they feel about this movie. You know, it's great. It's wonderful. It's doing great things. Oh, so many exciting things. I mean, we're doing great. We're doing absolutely great. Everybody's working hard, exciting. And it's like, that's what they tried to do with this movie. And they wanted to make something so fucking cool and edgy, but they have no idea what they're doing. They have no idea how to do it except to throw money at it. And that's 100% what this movie is. You cannot tell me that... Well, I guess you can because she was the producer, director, writer, and star. That's what makes it even worse because there was nobody there to challenge her, i.e. Donald Trump, just like him. Uh, but there's nobody there to be like, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, you maybe want to drop a couple of the jobs and focus on the story? or fo- Nah, man, this is just she's going full bore. This is it. This is me. Look at my ass. <laughs> Are you saying that Ed Westwick lacks any kind of integrity? As a performer, I fucking can't stand Ed Westwick. He's he, he's he's pretty bad. Also, he has own terrible shit in his past too, with some sexual assault allegations and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. Well, you know what? I'm glad that this is the movie he got to be in. Yeah, that fucking prick. Yeah, the, the most pleasing thing about this movie was like seeing because I was looking up the trailer so I could play the clip that was earlier in this episode, and I saw like interviews where it was all Louise Linton with him, and it's just her with the expression that I was assume would be like somebody trying to promote the movie and Ed Westwick looking like he was chained to her. And it's like, good. You deserve to yeah. be chained to her. <laughs> good. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Cause we, we haven't even mentioned like their chemistry or whatever. Oh, in this yeah, fucking movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Where yeah, it, it's, it's so much. He's just like, he keeps talking with like his buddy who's on the phone, just like, yo, man, you're going to case that joint? You're going to steal that Mustang she has or whatever? And he's like, I don't know, man. I'm catching them feels for this girl. She's a MILF. She's so hot. I know she isn't in the scene, but maybe cosmically she's behind a camera and telling me to say these things about her being so hot. Yep, and then her classic, I'm an ILF. I'm not a mom. So you, What? Right. By the way, also, there's a weird thing we haven't even talked about where, like, she's born in Scotland and immigrated to the United yeah. States. So it's her with a weird accent that's mostly American until you get to, like, our sounds, where it gets very oh, yeah. Scottish. Very Scottish. And in that way, I think what I came to the conclusion of with this movie as well is, like, we like talking about this with, like, good, bad movies. We love talking about them on the yeah. show. We especially love the idea of, like, a person from a foreign country coming to America and trying to make an American movie. And usually that can be, like, a fun thing where it's like, oh, there's an ineptitude, but there's a sweetness and a charm to, like, trying to make, you know, like, Samurai Cop, great example of that. Um, Versus uh, this movie is, like, the antithesis of what you would want from that kind of experience, where this is a foreigner coming over to the United States, but she's been here long enough to know better. And her husband's business, there's no excuse. There's no excuse. Right, but also, like, her warped idea of, like, oh, I want to make my own American movie is, I want to do a very bad version of American Psycho. American Psycho, the genius of that movie is that it's satiric and also made by a female director who knows, like, male chauvinist bullshit. And that movie's great because of that. It's a great satire of America. As opposed to, this is a movie made by someone who loves all the superficial stuff about America that, like, honestly, any 
sensible person would have at least some doubt about. And she turned that into this movie, which is just kind of like celebrating it, but also only making fun of it in an attempt to seem like they're clever, not in actually any kind of satiric intent. Whatever she's making fun of is just because it's like, guys, I'm in on the joke. I'm really fucking cool. Yeah, right. Exactly. See, we're not bad people. We're, we're funny. Oh, come on. It, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. It has the same energy of like when Trump was on SNL during yes. the election. We're huh? just like, aren't I funny for doing this? It's just like, no, this is just awful. <laughs> this is awful. Yeah, on, not, yeah. on so many levels. The main one being not funny, but also another laundry list of levels why it's bad. Ah. Ah. My head hurts from just the vanity and the ego of this. It, it, like I said, I can't get that through enough. And I, I got to reiterate, man, and, and, you know, I know you know, but to the people who might be listening and stuff, there is, I can't think of a bigger sort of example of just pure ego and someone being in the business of themselves uh, being put on screen than this. Like, yeah, there's the room and guys like Tommy was so are really into their own shit. Like I said, I, I, it, it's, it tries so hard to be funny and clever and hip and sexy and tries to have a fucking some weird message behind it about you know i i think mental health i really don't know what the fucking message they're trying to get across here and it's just it's so disgusting and embarrassing and deplorable this is a quote from an interview with linton uh where she says quote yeah, I've always loved the femme fatale genre. Last night I rewatched Basic Instinct and Fatal Attraction. There have been so many brilliant and diabolical characters in the femme fatale genre. Gloria Swanson in Sunset Boulevard, Barbara Stanwyck in Double Indemnity. I mean, all these characters inspired this character, but I wanted to make the play on it. A caricature, a parody, and just satire. Does that not sound like some fucking freshman year of high school bullshit like short answer response it's just like oh well, how am i gonna do this i'm gonna reference a bunch of things and therefore that makes it sound like i'm learned yep and in her real voice it would be like i just want to say i love <laughs> i want to create a new femme fatale a new genre are you fucking kidding me <laughs> Trivia, before she married Steve Mnuchin, she was the groundskeeper at Springfield Elementary. <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. 100%. You got the shinning. Um, it's just... Get the fuck out of here with that cookie cutter, man. Bullshit answer. That's like, you know, and who are your biggest influences? Myself. Like, oh, God. Well, no, classic <laughs> cinema... Which means I only know of the best, therefore I'm great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's... That's true, right. Exactly. <laughs> also, calling it the femme fatale genre. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> That's not a genre. That's an archetype. <laughs> you fucking piece of shit. Yeah. Have you seen Basic Instinct? A fatal attraction? She dies in the fucking bathtub, man. <laughs> I... <laughs> oh, Louise Linton's on the show. Get the fuck off my show. <laughs> yeah, don't you like looking at my arse? <laughs> bullshit. What a bullshit hackneyed answer. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Get over yourself and then fuck it. <laughs> you fucking bullshit artist. Oh, I mean, those are the good final thoughts unless you've been dead about me, you madness. <laughs> oh, dude. 
Yeah, it's pretty good. Five out of five. <laughs> um, I mean, I I agree with pretty much everything you said. I'll just add to quote my own letterboxed review. She would have the worst letterboxed account, Louise Linton. Like, terrible. if you were to go on there, just be like, oh, these lists are terrible, and all these reviews are very mean-spirited and, and narcissistic. Ugh. I wonder what her femme fatale list would look like. Oh, man. Only the classics, and including Me, You Madness, which would be on the top of the list, for sure. <laughs> um, also, just another random detail we didn't even talk about. Within the first five minutes of this movie, she eats a spider. Oh, yeah, that was fucking awesome, dude. How fucking tiff. And then, and then the callback from him, I don't like bugs. Fucking <laughs> 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 so stupid. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, like, yeah, just, it's such a weird mismatch of so many things. That, like I said, it feels so immature from this person who's, like, around 40 at this point to be making a movie, like, that's this so self-flagellating and insipid. But then again... Kind of fits appropriately for a person way too old to be doing awful, terrible things that only cause pain from the Trump administration. Wait, what, what? are you talking about? What, oh. what happened? Oh, well. <laughs> well, it all started in 2015. <laughs> <laughs> there arose such a clatter. Uh. Well, no, actually, so I have to go all the way back. So, Donald Trump was born in 1948. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to Donald Senior and believe it or not, Beulah Trump. <laughs> I don't know. Like, here's the sad thing: Trump has a better filmography than Louise Linton does at this point. <laughs> he at least has like Home Alone two and The Little Rascals. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh god, he's got a better filmography than Ed Westwick. <laughs> I mean, kind of. That's true. Uh, but seriously, fuck him. Fuck everybody remotely related to the administration, including Luis. Uh, go fuck yourself. This movie's terrible. Yeah, fuck it. Fuck all of you. Fuck all of you. But still, though, you made a movie. Good for you. That's true. You did make a movie, and you did it all by yourself without any help from anybody. Clearly. <laughs> uh, well, on that cheery note, uh, we do have a good movie to talk about in a minute. But first, uh, here's a promo for an ESO show you can queue up right after ours. I'm Drew Leiter. And I'm Cletus Jacobs. Join us weekly as we journey into DC's Infinite Frontier. We discuss DC news, comics, television shows, movies, and more. Earth Station DCU is part of the ESO Network. Check us out where fine podcasts are found. All right, so now let's get into our good feature, World is Within. Should affect our snowshoes. What? People do that? You know, fun fact... Not only is it the oldest, but remains one of the most effective means of traversing the ice. Wow. Yeah, you're going to fit right in at Beaverfield. Everything here is a little... questionable. Oh. Preacher, you look like you just seen a corpse. Well, the roads are effed, and something's wrong with the generator. Which generator? All of them. Think it on the internet! Uh, also, there's a dead body under your porch. Probably a wolf. What are you, like a wolf detective, Mel Marcus? Everything about this predator is unorthodox. It's not a human. It's not a canine. It's one of them. One of what? A lycanthrope. A what? A werewolf. So, A World Within uh, is from director Josh Rubin. 
uh, from a script written by a Mishnah Wolf, though she wrote this based on a video game uh, of the same title uh, from Red Storm Entertainment, which I had not really heard of the video game before this came out. Adam, were you aware of it? I was aware of it, but I, I just know the title. Well, I mean, from what I understand, it is kind of like a sort of like character-based kind of mystery thing where you are trying to figure out who the werewolf is. Basically, from what I've heard, it's very similar to like a game of Mafia, which is just the the parlor game of just like, oh, hey, someone's a murderer. You got to find out who it is in the room and you got to like kind of draw from clues and stuff like that. So they adapted that into a story about like, oh, you got to find out who the werewolf is and they made that into a video game. And then it was made into a film, interestingly, by Ubisoft, who's an actual video game company who has had development on movies and TV shows for the last couple of years, but the only other film they did was Assassin's Creed from 2016. Uh, so, big gap. I wonder why. I wonder why Assassin's Creed didn't burst their production arm. For the record, I would say Assassin's Creed isn't one of the worst ones. I find it kind of fascinating in its failure. I just think it's boring. By that extent, it's also not the least offender of a video game adaptation. Unlike... Worlds Within, which, Adam, you kind of teased at the end of our last episode, but I think I kind of agree with you. This is easily the best video game adaptation ever made. I absolutely think that. And I challenge anyone to come up with one that, they, that they're going to say is better. And I swear to God, if I hear Mortal Kombat from 1995, get the fuck off my show. <laughs> Louise Linton, how dare you have that opinion on Mortal Kombat? You did it like Gordo. He's got four arms. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah, no, I do. I think it's the best video game adaptation, man. I think it's incredibly cute, and I don't. I mean, if you're a you know a horror comedy, comedy more comedy, I'd say than horror. But it's populated by such fun characters, amazing performances. Uh, everybody in it from top to bottom is great. It's got a sense of almost like a whimsy who done it. It's just super, super fun. Yeah, I would say it's less of like a horror comedy fan, but if you're more a fan of like Clue, the 80s movie, mm-hmm. which is similarly a movie that's based on a fucking board game, and the people who made that movie were like, oh, how about we take the basic premise of a whodunit movie and turn it into like a cute comedy? And they did the same thing here, uh, which, if you're unaware, the basic premise is uh, we followed Finn Wheeler, played by Sam Richardson, who you might know from... A lot of comedy things. He was on Veep. He's on a lot, in a lot of sketches uh, for I Think You Should Leave, including he's the Baby of the Year host guy, which is so fucking funny, <laughs> that particular sketch. Um, and he is the new uh, ranger in the specific Northwest town uh, that's very secluded. Not a lot of people live there. And there's a whole controversy about a new pipeline being built half the town is like very forward uh, the other half is against it and um when he gets up there he makes friends with the post woman or post person because as she says gender is a construct uh played by milana Weintraub, and uh she introduces him to all the different characters there's like the woman who runs the local inn there's this gay couple who has a lot of money and is trying to do their own like kind of real estate stuff in the town there's the conservative couple uh the man in particular being kind of like a handsy piece of shit person and there's a bunch of other cast of characters who all eventually meet up at uh the woman's inn uh where a murder has happened and they proceed to question of like okay what's going on here with that and also the generators in town have been slashed by mysterious claw marks of some sort 
So they're like, okay, something's got to be happening here, including the doctor, Jane Ellis character, uh, played by Rebecca Henderson, who gets some samples from like various bits of fur that are found at these various different crime scenes. And she realizes like there's lycanthrope hair here because it's indistinguishable from any other hair in existence with any other species of animal. So it becomes a whodunit where they're all stuck in this inn and they're trying to figure out who is the werewolf, the murderer, whatever. Uh, we don't really know if there's a werewolf or not until uh, near the end of the movie, when things are revealed. Which, we'll emphasize again, because this is a very good movie we both recommend. We would recommend watching the movie first, because we will spoil the whole twist that happens. And also some good jokes, I'm sure, that happen from here. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. So I'm going to ask, who is your favorite of sort of the side characters? Of the side characters, I mean, it's hard not to say Joaquim, uh, as played by Harvey Gillen, who obviously is so grand what we do in the shadows. Uh, I have a bit of a personal bias because he sat next to me at a Dragon Con event where we were talking about what we do in the shadows, and he surprised everybody, and he was so cool and very nice. Uh, but anyway, uh, I still think he's very funny in this movie in general. Like, him and Cheyenne Jackson playing off each other are so funny with stuff like when the big standoff happens, like, whoa, is this a Mexican standoff? Honey, don't say Mexican. Just say standoff. <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah. Or even later on when like he becomes super like obsessed with like, oh, she's the seventh born. She is a werewolf. And she's like, oh, I love you so much. I'm going to kill you, motherfucker. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I love them too. Come on. It's not like we're millionaires. Well, we are. Oh, my God. We're fucking rich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, they're great. I also love the fucking, like, the grease bag couple. The mechanic and her boyfriend or whatever who's wearing, like, a fucking Lutz t-shirt. <laughs> and when he tapes all the knives to his hand. Like, I'll fucking cut you. <laughs> so good. It's, that's the thing. I like every character in the movie, though. Like, there's not really one that I'm like, ah, I could have done without that. I Even the handsy pervert guy, he's funny. Like, in a, how gross he is, it's, it's, it works. Right, but the movie is firmly saying, like, this guy's a fucking piece of shit, and none of the stuff he's actually doing is funny. He's just, like, funny because he's a fucking moron. Right, he's fun. Right, exactly. 100%. But, well, no, particularly his intro bit where he, like, salutes uh, the ranger and fucking uh, Sam Richardson's just, like, never from the left. And he's like, yeah, my kind of guy, never from the left. <laughs> That's not what I meant. <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, we lost Muffin today. I tries to give her a hug. Like, dude, get the fuck out of here. Or that man. great bit when, like, he's walking by the bells after Muffin has died and saying, like, oh my god, they solved the murder. Like, ding. Oh, look, Muffin got her wings. <laughs> Yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and she's great too. The one who plays his wife. Oh, she's phenomenal. She's been in a lot of things too. She's one of those people who you would recognize. Yeah, she was on SNL for like a season or two. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah, she's hilarious in it, dude. She's just like catatonic and hysterical most of the movie until when she snaps into gear. She's terrifying. Yeah, Michaela Watkins shouted as her name. Yeah, yeah, that's her. Yeah, yeah. And then Melina Wontraub. I mean, is, is there a more adorable character this year in a movie? She's so, she is, like we talked about on our previous episode, that like pixie sort of girl where you just you fall in love with her because she's so quirky and she likes good music. She's not afraid to make herself look silly and all this stuff. And she's great. And of course, most people know her as the AT&T girl. Well, yes, there's that. But I think the bigger thing is that, like you said, like, oh, she's the Man Pixie Dream Girl. I think the genius of that character really is that yes. she is not that. 
She is a complete oh, subversion right. yeah, deconstruction of that right. character, which is so genius by the time we get to the reveal. And even watching the movie again, knowing that, like, oh, she ends up being the werewolf, there's so many tells that they just subtly put in. I think it's a real testament to both the way the script's written, but also her performance, that she makes it all feel so natural to where you are kind of, like, swept in by her. It's just like, oh, man, she's so charming and she's beautiful and she's great. I love being around her. It's like, oh, no, she's that's just because she's that fucking good at being manipulative because everyone else around her is just fucking like immediately going to fall for her. Like what seems to be an innocence or in Sam Richardson's case, just fall head over heels for her, which you don't blame him because she's very sweet. (laughs) Yeah. It's great. The scene where she puts on Ace of Base and starts dancing to him with kombucha tea. You're like, Oh yeah, I'd fall in love with her right there too. Like there's no question. A hundred percent. And, but okay, we got to spotlight our man, Sam Richardson, who has been fucking good. He is so funny in general. That dude, like, I discovered him on Veep, and he was, like, so phenomenal. He was, like, a late entry into that cast, too, like, season three or four. And when you're in a cast that includes, like, Julia Louis-Dreyfus and so many other funny people, he's stuck at just like, oh, this dude is just, like, constantly delivering line after line that's fucking great. He's been, like, a consummate working dude in comedy for the last, like, several years. And he gets his chance to, like, headline a movie, and he fucking owns it. And he's still, at the same time, like, such an investingly meek character where she's like, I'm going to yep. build confidence. I want to be a better person about that. But at the same time, he's just too, to quote uh, Weintraub by the end of the movie, you're too fucking nice with your golly gee Willikers attitude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's dude. He's great. He's been just crushing. Uh, like you said, V and then yeah. in the, um, the Tim Robinson show. And then even in promising young woman, Right, you know his little bit part. He's like, yeah, he's a scumbag, but he's really good in it. I'm so glad, like, he got the chance to headline a movie, and one that people favorably look upon. I really hope that, like, this kind of pushes him into another sort of echelon, where he's headlining more movies and things like that. Because he's really good. He's a great actor, and he has incredible comedic timing. But I like the fact that it comes from even like those other shows and things we talked about so much of it comes from a real sincerity which is what i really mm-hmm. like about like a comedic performer is when he is able to like really believe and invest in this character who in this case is, like a super nice ranger dude who is constantly trying to like keep the peace but at the same time knows just like okay i gotta work around this like the whole thing where every where he says all right everybody let's put our guns and lock them up so nobody feels estranged like including you ranger and he's like that defies all protocol and is probably ill-advised but sure yeah i'll do it <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> or, or even later on when he's like ranting to her when she reveals herself to be a werewolf it's just like yeah I like being nice I like doing nice things for people and nice people doing good things for other people so fuck me pardon the language yeah 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 <laughs> yeah and I love the whole bit where they go meet the, they go to the trapper guy yes to give him that package I never even thought that that was the guy from Barry like at all Right, and he was also in Joker as, like, the asshole employee. Like, he's a great character actor, Glenn Fleshshutter. And he's really fucking good in this. He's funnier than shit. And just the constant, she's still making them sandwiches. <laughs> he just wants those sandwiches so bad. <laughs> he's usually, like, a big, imposing dude. And just putting, like, that beard and the giant coat on him instantly makes him, like, oh, I am intimidated by this guy. Shout out to, like, Mishnah Wolf for, like, really building a good mystery on top of it being a funny comedy. Because everybody has a solid motive. And even, like, with the Sam Richardson character, with, like, that whole thing, like, oh, every time he goes around somewhere, 
something horrible happens. And also, so it's a really well-written movie just on, like, a story level. At the same time, it's a funny comedy, which is so rare these days. And I really like the sort of bait-and-switch they do, where, you know, you almost get a false ending. Where you're like, oh, there wasn't a werewolf. It was just that guy. You know, the one who was, like, the hunting werewolves. It was just a, a crazy set of circumstances. And there's just somebody killed, you know, whoever, and then so on and so forth. And then when it's revealed, like, oh, no, she is an actual fucking werewolf. Like, that guy wasn't crazy hunting a werewolf. Well, and you even get a couple others. There's also Michaela Watkins has the whole thing where she starts murdering off people. And you usually figure they're like, oh, maybe she was the one murdering. Oh, no, there's another layer. Oh, wait, there's another twist that's going on here. On paper, that sounds like it could be, like, kind of exhausting. But in the movie, it's just, like, really, like, it's both satisfying because you're like, oh, there's other circumstances to why people would be murdered makes sense for the story and also it's really fucking funny <laughs> just especially like Michaela like the way Michaela Watkins is like reacting get out of my house oh they locked up the front door oh fuck I think I left the back door unlocked <laughs> <laughs> or well then she like ends up getting like when they hit her and she's like is she okay and then she falls into the fire and burns yes yes it, the reason I think that it doesn't become so tiresome and sort of arduous is a the movie is only 97 minutes long but b once the shit really starts gone like with the michaela Watkins character and then the guy is the werewolf hunter it's kind of bang 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 like it's really quick reveals mm-hmm. like it doesn't linger too long and like the most sense of like you know oh levity or breath they give you between the reveals is right before she's revealed but it doesn't take long for her to get revealed as the werewolf it's within a couple minutes of getting back to the bar like, it's pretty quick. Right, and the way he stumbles upon, like, all the evidence. Yeah. It's just like, oh my god, all this, like, postage that never got delivered and shit like that. That's the thing. I think it also helps that it is a genuinely good mystery. That you're trying mm-hmm. to figure out at the same time you're kind of laughing. If anything, the laughs slightly distract you so you can have certain clues being left. So, which right. makes it a great example of a comedy you can also rewatch because rewatching it now, because I watch this around, like, Halloween. It also, like, rewatching, you're like, oh, that makes this clue was left here perfectly. And some of the dialogue, like, there's the point where Harvey Gillen brings up the whole thing about, oh, you know, the seventh born is usually considered a werewolf in Argentina, so we'd murder them. And you're laughing at that particular bit, and you don't even notice, like, her reaction as much about, like, but you don't do that anymore because you're not crazy, right? That's both a joke and also a tell of just, like, oh, of course. Of course she's the fucking werewolf. That makes so much sense. Yeah, and even the way that they find the dog collar, and even the way, you know, they constantly reference the car part that hasn't been delivered yet and things like that. Uh, Like, she's constantly planting seeds and just making sure that they cannot leave town. And even all, and, and even the red herring suspects around her works. But like, we haven't talked about one person who might be like I think the most underrated because she isn't as like recognizable a person. But Rebecca Henderson as the doctor is so deadpan funny to me. Particularly all of her stuff with Catherine Curtin, who plays a very sweet like the innkeeper lady, who's just like, oh my god, my husband died, and I'm so sad. It's like Janine, I'm gonna find out who killed your dead husband. <laughs> Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> Catherine Curtin moves in for like, oh, can I hug you? And then she like rolls away. <laughs> yes, it's so good. Yeah, she's great. And just like how she constantly just kind of pops up behind everybody. Yes. <laughs> like startles the shit out of them. Because she's just so like trying to be quiet and meager and private. And it's just, of course, she gets looped in with these just maniacs. Everyone in this town is insane. Like, yeah, one of them's right. a werewolf, but the rest of them are all crazy. They're right. just crazy. <laughs> and you know, also, a big shout, you kind of mentioned how like she pops into frame. Josh Rubin, as the director here, this movie, despite being like in one location, 
and having like clearly not a huge budget look mm-hmm. looks great. I love the way this movie okay. looks and captures particularly like the isolation of winter in a way particularly like, when everything gets like turned off and like the generators are off so it's all lit by candles and stuff like that. It looks very good. And we were like, you only did one other movie scare me. But you know it was on Shudder. I've heard very good things, but I haven't seen it yet. Um, yeah, but I'm just like, I need to follow this dude's other work. I want to see whatever the fuck he does next. Especially considering he wasn't a fan of the video games and just put on like the VR set at one point just because like they gave him a VR thingy to quote him. And he was just like, oh, this is an interesting movie. And this, I think that's the thing we kind of need with people who make video game movies. It's like somebody who isn't like wholly to the idea but can at least play the video game or have some understanding of it and realize, like, okay, I can make something fun out of this, but I'm not going to be, like, totally reverent to the property at the same time. I think that's exactly what you would need to make a good video game movie, and this is, like, the prime example. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I, I mean, again, it's a completely different type of medium, so you have to change it somewhat to make it work for film. Well, here's the difference, though. The ones that are the sort of the worst are either so beholden to the material or they go completely like off the story and everything like super Mario brothers, where it's like, what the fuck? Like there's, you don't even have the core idea there, but this one works really well. Cause the core idea is there, you know, it's the murder mystery. You know, you feel like that they could do this at one of those dinner theater things that some people do, which they even reference as from point like, this is like a bad dinner theater thing where I'm stuck in the middle of this. And I can't leave. Yeah. I completely agree with you. Like he, he appreciated, enough of the source material to realize, oh, I can make something fun out of this. And I just got to put my own spin on it and put my own stamp on it. And I, and I mean, it was incredibly successful and I, and I can't agree more with how good it looks. I mean, every bit of money they had is on screen. Like it's there. Yeah. And it's a bummer that obviously, cause it came out in the pandemic, it wasn't necessarily a movie that like a lot of people are aware of. So I would I would definitely say like this feels like a great sort of hidden gem, especially if you have been dying for like a good comedy movie because of how little a resource that is at this point, even just comedy movies in general. Uh, this is a great one. This is a really fun, awesome one where you are in me like so many different characters are fun and has such a great use of its cast and it's really well made and it's just it's it's a stellar little movie and I'm very happy that you picked it for the show, and that it even, you know, came out. I think even beyond the fact that it's a very good video game movie, it's just a really great little fucking little genre exercise in general that's uh, really stellar. And I guess this would be my final thoughts. I have anything to add. Uh, no, I mean, I completely agree with everything you said. I think it's a very funny movie. You know, yes, obviously it didn't get the uh, sort of attention that maybe it would have garnered if the pandemic was going on, but I don't think this movie would have been wholly successful either way uh you know it's kind of a cast of unrecognizable as far as mainstream and also you know it does have the stigma of being tied to the horror genre and a lot of people you know horror comedies it's kind of a niche thing and also a video game so it probably turned a lot of people off I would argue it would have at least made back its six and a half million dollar budget. I think it would have made back its money. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I, I mean, maybe even doubled it. But right. I don't think it would have been a huge movie. But yeah, it's it's a shame because this is definitely one that everybody I've told to watch it and everybody who's seen it that you know, based on my recommendation, have absolutely loved it. There has not been one person who's been like, eh, it was okay. Everybody I know, even like my brother who's not into horror movies, my ex-wife who's into you know more British style comedy. Uh, every you know, even a couple buddies of mine who watch it really, really liked it. Uh, it's a really, really good movie, and I just hope 
that you know any of our listeners who might not have seen it, uh, this might make them want to. But watch it before we get to the spoilery bits. Well, now if you're listening now, you can <laughs> if you listen through all of that <laughs> after we told you to wait and watch the fucking movie. That's true. Yeah, we ruined. <laughs> we definitely ruined. The- but but if you did pay attention to our advice and watch the movie and you came back and listened, that wasn't that great. Didn't you have a lot of fun? Yeah, come on. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Uh, <laughs> and definitely, I would say also one of the better films of the year. Yeah. But speaking of films from this year, Adam, uh, we like mm-hmm. to do a segment every single week uh, called the A Double Redo, where uh, both you and I uh, have four movies each, uh, two that are good and two that are bad that relate to the topic that we're covering. Um, and so for 2021 movies, uh, we, you know, I have two good ones and two bad ones and you have the same, uh, for that. Uh, so, um, I'll go ahead and start with mine here. Um, first off, I'll start with the good. Um, and, um, both of my good are, um, <laughs> batshit insane movies that <laughs> I, I really want to recommend. Uh, first I have Benedetta. Which, as of recording, is in theaters currently, but by the time this goes out, it'll be on VOD for people to, like, rent and stuff. And this is a new film from Paul Verhoeven, the director of films like Robocop and Total Recall and Basic Instinct, apparently a big influence on Louis Linton. Benedetta is the story that takes place in, I believe it's 18th century France, I believe. I know it's in French, uh, but I think it might because it's obviously Paul Verhoeven, there might be a bit of a Dutch thing. Point is, it takes place at that long time ago, um, and Benedetta, the titular character, is this young girl who, at the start, is brought over to a convent at age eight, because uh, when she was born, she uh, had a very tough birth, and basically it was almost felt like she was going to like die and be stillborn, but it was perceived as a miracle that she was born in this way. Benedetta proceeds to like be a part of this convent, um, which is run by Charlotte Rampling, and while she's there, um, she ends up hooking up with this um, other nun who is, like, new. And literally, like, we see her introduced as, like, she was a farmer's girl who was horribly abused by her father that Benedetta, like, insists come into the convent. This movie was sold on basically, like, oh, it's a lesbian nun story. It's like the nunsploitation movie from Paul Verhoeven. So instantly, my curiosity was piqued. Uh, but that still could have been a sleazy movie. And amazingly, some of the sex scenes do kind of feel like male gazy Paul Verhoeven going very over the top in that way. Uh, but what's great about Benedetta is even though that element's there and could turn off people, um, around it is this great satire about, like, especially uh, organized religion. Where, like, the Charlotte Rampling character who runs the, the convent is this woman who is constantly, like, trying to keep her station as the head nun and is constantly doing stuff like when the other... Um, young woman who is like being horribly abused tries to come in. She's like, please give me sanctuary. She's like, oh, I would love to, uh, but you need to give us a dowry and your father needs to give us that. And if he doesn't, then everything's screwed uh, for you. Um, and she gets saved like the last second by Benedetta's parents. Uh, but um, it's such a great performance from Rampling where she's constantly like, look, I need to save my station need to save my safety. But then as it goes along, Benedetta, uh, as it turns out, uh, becomes almost like has these visions of Christ and so she becomes this, like, conduit for Christ, as it were, who, like, does, like, has stigmata and does all sorts of weird shit. So in the she's like, oh, she has to rise up in the ranks because all the officials are like, oh, she's, like, vessel for God. And Charlotte Rampling is like, God fucking damn it. I want to keep my station here. This is bullshit, but I have to play nice or else I'll be thrown out of this convent and I have nothing if I'm not in this convent at all. And there's so much other stuff. Like, if you think I'm spoiling, guys, this movie gets 
bonkers after this point. <laughs> and it's stellar. And the climax is like some of the most giddy cinematic joy I've had in the chaos in quite a while. It's so stellar, so good. Love Benedetta. But I kind of went long on that movie because I'm not going to go as long on my other good movie because uh, that movie is Titan. Um, and this movie is one that I don't want to spoil that much because Titan is another weird bonkers movie. Um, and it's also in French, but the difference with Titan is like the, the whole point of this movie is going on the weird journey that the writer director, uh, Julia Ducanior, um, I apologize if I fucked up that name. I probably did. Um, who directed raw, which is another great fucked up weird movie. Um, that both have a similar kind of thing of this one's about coming of age for this young woman, um, but the way that she comes of age is wild and surreal and crazy. Uh, like, the best way I could sum it up is, like, there was a, a critical reaction that was all over all of the uh, advertising for this movie that says it's both the most fucked up movie of the year and also the sweetest simultaneously. Because the whole, like, there's this great mix of just, like, horrible, disturbing imagery and, like, a really sincere, sweet like family drama in the center of it also at the same time just a shout out to agatha russell who plays the main uh character but also uh vincent linden um who plays like this other person that basically comes into that uh she agatha comes into her his life and it's such a stunning performance from the two of them like the way that they play off each other it's there's so much different layers of weirdness that's there and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense but it still is like it feels right Despite how horrible and disturbing and weird all of this is, it feels natural, despite the fact that this movie's fucking bonkers as well. It's it's definitely one of my favorites of the year. And then the two bad ones, I guess I'll be kind of brief with. Uh, one is one that I just overtly hate so much. I've written a review about this over at uh, my blog, but I'll, I'll just repeat again. Uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, I loathe so much. It kind of represents everything I hate about modern blockbuster cinema. It's not as bad as, say, like a Space Jam 2, <laughs> a new legacy, which came out this year as well. But it has a similar kind of vibe, just like overt cash and nostalgia, that even as a Ghostbusters fan, I love the original Ghostbusters movie. This feels just like a weird betrayal of what I liked about that first movie, especially in the fact that it's not really a comedy. And even then, like, I don't expect every Ghostbusters movie to stick to the formula. My problem with the other two movies before this were like they kind of stuck to the same formula. And this movie doesn't do that exactly. It does have a lot of nostalgia and repeats several things from the original movie, while also filling in the gaps with like Stranger Things style nostalgia for shit that came out around the same time as the original Ghostbusters. And that doesn't work because that just feels antithetical to the whole point of Ghostbusters. It just feels like what was a like a fun satiric blue collar comedy that is meant to spotlight a bunch of like fun talents is mostly just like a sad, repetitive, nostalgic throwback movie that has some very talented people in it, like McKenna Grace, who plays kind of like the lead character. She's a young actress who's very good, and I want to see her do other better things. And Paul Rudd's always fun. But uh this movie, especially being from Jason Reitman, the son of Ivan Reitman, who directed the first couple of movies, and made several good movies early in his career. The fact that he's just kind of crawled back to the nostalgic family business of sorts feels, like, sad on one of many levels. This movie kind of feels sad about particularly. With a climax, I won't spoil, uh, but feels like it wants to be this, like, oh, beautiful tribute to somebody who we love from the Ghostbusters franchise. Uh, but instead, it's ghoulish. It's nightmarish and ghoulish, and I don't like it very much. And then the other one... 
is a one that frustrates me more because I think it starts off so good. I have Free Guy, which is very popular, big hit of the year. And my frustration with Free Guy is the first 40 minutes or so of this movie are really, really good. I like so much of how this movie is established with, like, if you don't really recall, this is the movie where Ryan Reynolds plays a character who is stuck in a video game that's an NPC, which there's weird internet language around that, but in context of a video game, it's a non-playable character who, like, when you're playing Grand Theft Auto, he's literally the guy who's running the bank that you rob. And Ryan Reynolds has such, like, a fun disposition earlier on in the movie that doesn't feel like him just becoming Deadpool again and doing his usual thing. And I love his love of, like, Mariah Carey and ice cream and all this other stuff. It feels very, like, sweet and genuine. There's a lot of fun people around him, like Lil Rel Howery, who's great usually, and Jodie Comer, who's in another great movie from this year, uh, The the Last Duel, uh, and is very fun early on in this movie as well. And it's a movie just about, like, sort of AI gaining sentience, but in, like, a fun, comedic way that's like, oh, this could be really fun. And then, like... After the first 40 minutes, it really falls apart and becomes way less interesting as a comedy. Weirdly, with, like, the entrance of Taika Waititi, who we've talked about on the show before, we love Taika Waititi, but it's, this is easily the most unfunny he's been in the movie. Just, it's somebody else trying to write his usual style of humor, and it feels like a bad translation from Google Translate. It's so disappointing and such a bummer to see him doing a really bad job there, and even... After that, like, all the other stuff with Ryan Reynolds, he just becomes, like, the Ryan Reynolds Deadpool kind of, like, snarky asshole dude after a certain point. It's like, man, this is so disappointing. This was a great fucking movie that turned into a really mediocre one. Not helped by, it also falls into some stupid, like, corporate tie-in bullshit near the end in a way that didn't really need to happen at all. And it's only because uh, the studio that was releasing this Fox um, ended up having that deal with Disney. So there's a lot of references to Disney IP that feel the most, like, desperate and shitty. It's just like, man, movie, you were better than this. You were so much better than this, and you just dropped the ball. Okay, so I have obviously not seen uh, your two good ones. I've started Titan, like, twice, but it's just one of those where, man, I am not in the mood for something like this right now. What are you talking about? I don't know what would turn you off about that movie, like, early on. Nothing, like, weird or bizarre happens in there. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. No fluids uh, that shouldn't be there in <laughs> that's, certain places. That's all, that's all I want you to say. That's about the best description yep, that's you all do without spoiling things. Yep. Uh, it's just, I, I, I want to watch it because I'm I, infinitely fascinated by it, um, but I just haven't gotten around to it. And then Benedetta, I'm, I'm going to watch when it comes out. I love me some Verhoeven, so, so I'm definitely in on that. And then, um, yeah, Free Guy, I, I completely... Uh, sort of agree. Like, I really, I don't think I'm as sour on it as you are, but there is a lot of wasted potential there. Once it becomes a commercial for Disney, basically, it, it becomes really just sort of offensive and 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 bland and boring. And yeah, Taika Waititi is horrible. It's a horrible character, a horrible performance. It it just doesn't work on any level. Uh, but I will say the first 40 minutes or so is some of the best Ryan Reynolds has been in a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so, you know, meh. and Ghostbusters, I have no interest. I could tell from the trailers, and then once I asked you to confirm something for me, and you did, I was just like, yep, I'm good. I am absolutely 100% okay without ever seeing that movie. And um, Okay, so real quick to go into mine. One is one I've already talked about ad nauseum uh, on our Edge Irrelevant show, uh, so I won't go too far into it. But uh, one of my good, my first good pick is Dune. Um, 
obviously I think everybody knows what Dune is at this point. That movie exploded in a way that made me so happy. I love it. I love everything about it. Perfect movie to me. If you know, if you've listened for a long time, you probably have maybe figured out that I'm a Dune fan. And uh, yeah, this is the best uh, adaptation of it by far, so far. Uh, It's perfect. Uh, And then another movie that completely surprised me because I did not expect anything out of it is the Nicolas Cage movie Pig. You know, if anybody doesn't really know what it is, Nicolas Cage plays plays a once uh, famous chef who kind of lives in isolation, and he has a truffle pig with him that he's kind of his only friend, and somebody kidnaps the pig, and then he goes to the city to kind of find out what it, who did it and why. It becomes almost like a mystery. Really fucking cool movie. Really interesting world building, uh, especially that there's like, an underground fight club for sort of service industry workers. You're like, what the fuck is this? It's nuts. It's crazy. uh, But it's great. And it's, it is by far the best Nicolas Cage performance I've seen in. I can't even tell you it. He's great in it. It's such a weird, cool little movie. Um, And I was blown away by it. And uh, also Adam Arkin, turns into just an amazing performance as well great great movie oh and shout also to alex wolf who's like in the movie quite a bit alex oh, dude alex wolf is fucking he's unrecognizable in the role i didn't even realize it was him and he's so good at it he's so so good at it mm-hmm. and then real qu- quickly uh for my bad venom 2 uh let there be carnage cannot stand this movie i think it's it's so ugly and just misfires on so many levels Right off the beginning, with the very, very odd choice of dubbing that they do, uh, it just sort of, for me, set the movie up for failure right away. And it honestly never really came back. Uh, I will say the sort of budding, sort of bromance between actually Venom and Eddie Brock is super fun. There is some fun bits with them, uh, but I just wish we would have gotten a lot more of that than this sort of tacked on uh carnage and shriek bullshit because i do not care i do not care in the slightest but you know oh well that's what we get and it made a shitload of money so we're definitely going to get another one and then also the other one i have real quick is uh chaos walking which stars tom uh tom holland and uh daisy ridley and mads milkinson and ton of big actors based on a uh, sci-fi novel that was super popular um and it is one of the most boring bland things i've ever seen it drags on for so long and it kind of makes you wonder if Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley are flash in the pan actors. Like he's got Spider-Man. She had Ray. Are they going to be able to get, go beyond that? I really hope so. Cause I do actually like both of them, especially Daisy Ridley, but this gave me pause. Um, it's boring. It was a failure for a reason. Uh, I, I cannot recommend chaos talking to anybody. Uh, yeah, I have not seen Chaos Walking, though. I will at least say, to give Daisy Ridley a bit of credit, I think that was, the the whole thing with that movie is even before the pandemic, it was shot, like, years ago. And it was, like, supposed to be, like, her first non-Star Wars project. So, I feel like that's more a case of, you know, potentially, at least, like, oh, she was still at a completely different stage in her career at that point. And also, it's... And also, because, like, they shot this, I believe, it was like, yeah, in 2017 they shot this, and it just was, like, delayed that fucking long. 
Um, so I, I think there's a lot of issues there, um, though, like I said, I haven't seen, though, just interesting fact also, made by Doug Lyman, who was one of those guys who has a fascinating career in that it is so hit or miss, because yep. obviously Doug Lyman also did, like, Swingers, and more recently Edge of Tomorrow, Go, and The Born Identity, so a lot of fun movies there, but also Jumper, and, uh, <laughs> the, the Lockdown movie that came out during the pandemic, um, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, um, this movie, he's, it's very, like, hit or miss with that dude, for sure. Um, then Venom, Let There Be Carnage, I will say, um, we talked about the first Venom on this show, and I said that, like, you know, I wasn't a fan of it at all initially, and then seeing it for the show again, I was like, well, there's a lot, some fun stuff with, like, the, the Eddie and, uh, Venom characters. But the first Venom movie had a lot of issues, but with the second one, I agree that it's not necessarily a good movie, I do agree that I think the stuff with, like, Woody Harrelson and Naomi Harris is not good. But I think the other stuff with Venom and Eddie is so much more fun to me that I consider this just more of like an uneven movie to me necessarily than an outright bad one. Because the stuff with Eddie and Venom is so fun that I'm at least able to like go from, you know, boring sort of like almost 90s-ish superhero stuff to the Eddie Venom stuff, which you say bromance. There's a lot of points where I think it goes to a bit more than a bromance, and that is infinitely more interesting than, say, 90% of the romances we get in any modern blockbuster <laughs> to me. <laughs> where Like, I, I think there's a lot more interesting stuff going on between those two characters to the point where I'm like, you know what? I have so many issues with this movie, but because it's also very short, I would watch it over a lot of the other very forgettable, bland blockbusters that come out nowadays, quite frankly. Um for just the stuff that's really good. But um, then your two good ones, um, I can easily say um, I, I love Pig. I think Pig's a great pick. And I agree that like Cage is phenomenal in it. I think it's because like we've seen Cage have a bit of a renaissance recently, but it's within the prism of like the fun, silly Cage stuff, which it's still like it's much better than some of the bad stuff he's been really doing recently. But this one in particular, it feels like it's more a throwback to a lot more of like the quiet, subtle performances that he would do like in the 80s and 90s, like in between Vampire's Kisses, where you, you got to see actually like, oh, there's a bit more like nuance to him as an actor. And you're just like, oh my god, this cage, I've missed you so much. It's so good. And yeah, I, I agree that it, it's especially great because he never goes that crazy in it. You keep anticipating, like, is he going to go crazy? Is he going to go weird? And he doesn't. And it's, like, really spectacular to see him just really embrace that side of him he hasn't really displayed so much. So I really like Pig. And then Dune... You mentioned we talked about it on the Patreon show on the Edge of Relevance. I will say I was a bit more lukewarm to it when I first saw it in the theater. Weirdly, when I watched it again on HBO Max um, with my dad who wanted to see it, um, I had a lot more fun with it. Um, I still have big overall issues, I guess, more with like what the source material is doing that I just don't know if I'll ever quite get over. But this is still like a really solid adaptation of something I'm not on in theory such a huge fan of based on the previous adaptations. I, I still have, like, if nothing else, it's one of the most gorgeous-looking movies that's come out recently, and it has such a great cast around it that, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very hyped now that we're officially getting a Dune 2, so we get Toon. Can't wait for Toon, everybody. Toon! Oh, God. Invade. Oh, God. Oh, just don't fuck it up. Please don't fuck it up. I don't think they will. I don't think they will. But I said that the entire time until this movie is released. Right. And they did it. So I'm just going to say it about the second one the entire time, too. I don't fuck it up and just hope that, you know, sort of magic strikes twice. Yeah, I mean, and it'll be interesting because also that's the stuff where in previous adaptations I've been the least a fan of is the stuff that would be in part two. So I'm also very curious myself. 
and how uh, Villeneuve is going to take that. Yeah, buddy. And see, that's the stuff I find probably the most fascinating. So we are definitely uh, different Dune heads. But yeah, I don't think, you know, the thing is, and not to go on a tangent, I just don't think you're a Dune guy. You know, some people, they're just not Dune people. Like some people aren't Lord of the Rings people. Some people aren't Star Trek people. I just don't think Dune's your kind of sci-fi. And some people aren't Venom, let there be carnage people. <laughs> that would be me. That's me. That's going to be in my grave. Did not like Venom, let there be carnage. Love Dune, did he, though. Did he really insist that on his grief? So it's how we would have wanted it. <laughs> it's what we wanted. <laughs> oh, well, Adam, uh, before we get out of the segment, let's repeat our titles for everybody out there in case they might have uh, missed it in the middle of our ramblings. Um, I'll start with my two movies, once again, were the two good ones, Titan and Benedetta. And my two bad ones were Ghostbusters Afterlife and Free Guy. And my two good were Dune and Pig. And my bad was Venom, Let There Be Carnage and Chaos Walking. Yes, and if you have your own titles, please submit them to us um, on our various socials, as I will say in a bit. But uh, before we get to that in our picking for uh, the first episode of 2022, uh, stick around for that. Uh, we have some people to thank, like our uh, music is from Chris Oliver, who does a lot of great music. Find his stuff at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Uh, thanks to Christian Thor Lally for the artwork for our show. Follow him at Night of Water, that's Night with a K, underscore of, underscore water. Uh, for a bunch of great stuff, especially on his Twitter. He'll have a link tree where you can find all his stuff. And uh, also thanks to our supporters on Patreon. Patreon.com slash GEGBpod, where for just $1 a month, you all get to uh, choose topics we cover and movies we cover. Like, you know, you guys chose Werewolves Within. So uh, thank you all for letting us have that to counterbalance the bad pick that we had. Um, and also you get bonus podcasts. Uh, like, around the time this is out, there will be... A bunch of uh, new On the Edge Irrelevances, which, as I mentioned earlier, we cover recent movies that have come out. There are several. We started that earlier this year, in fact, and we've done over 20 of them at this point, um, including, by the time this is out, there will be ones for recent releases like Spider-Man No Way Home, Nightmare Alley, and, of course, the big Christmas release that recently came out, Matrix Resurrections, uh, which we'll have, I'm sure, a lot of things to say about all three of those films as we've had for several other films we did earlier in the year. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. And it's almost been a, you got to figure it's almost been a year since we've been doing it. We started it on Christmas day. Well, that's true. Yes. That we started a vague version of it. And then um, the official yeah. first episode was in March. Cause it was the justice league. Exactly. It was justice league. Yep. 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 God, we've done over 20. That's insane. Wow. I know. Yes. And uh, there should be more in 2022. Stay tuned uh, for that if you become a patron. You'll get to hear any of those when they come out. Uh, oh, and you know what? Um, because I mentioned this earlier, uh, 2022 is fast approaching. We just want to emphasize again, have a very happy and, more importantly, based on some recent news, safe New Year's. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Don't go out and be crazy. I mean, if you are, protect yourself. But just be safe. Have fun. Stay home. I mean, even not COVID-related, uh, don't, like, drink and drive and other stupid bullshit like that. that... Yeah, don't do, yeah, don't do bullshit right. like that. Yeah, don't be right. an asshole. Yes. Find more of us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod. Uh, you can also uh, submit feedback to us either there or on uh, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. 
And, you know, if you can't support us on the Patreon, that's cool. Uh, a way you can support us with just a one-time purchase would be to buy some merchandise uh, with our logo on it at the T Public Store. Uh, there will be a link in the description for that where you can buy a t-shirt or a mug or all sorts of other things, including a face mask, you know, to stay safe with our logo. That helps us out because we get a bit of a kickback. So uh, what should they do, Adam? They should buy our merch. Now, see, buy our merch comes from the 90s cartoon The Critic, which some people think is a rip-off of The Simpsons. Did you know that Jay Sherman from The Critic actually appeared in the episode of The Simpsons, which a lot of people rate as one of the worst episodes ever? I disagree. I think it's a wonderful universe building, and I think it's very fun. Now, look at my ass. Oh, so much me, you, and madness in that statement. Madness. Madness. Oh, but what you should delineate from the madness is please buy our merchandise. Yeah, just buy our shit. Yes. Buy our shit. Yes, but uh, for more antics individually, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxes at NotTheWho'sTommy. And I also do some writing at both MarianneThomas.wordpress.com, uh, like the review of Ghostbusters Afterlife I mentioned, and over at Film-Cred.com. So around the time this episode's coming out as well, uh, there should be a lengthy review I've written for Chucky Season 1 on there. And you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Atom or Adam. That's A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M. And on Letterboxd at Schwanson. S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N. Yes. And uh, for more of us in audio form, please uh, you know, subscribe to us on places like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on ESO, why not listen to all the other great shows? And uh, you can also dig into our Podbean main feed for the full list of archives uh, where we did even shows before we joined ESO. And nothing else, if you can't, support us on the Patreon or buy the merchandise. The completely free way to help us out is to rate, review, or just share the show around because that gets us more visibility. Yeah, and I've been noticing what you fuckers have been doing. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen you guys sharing the show, Christian and Rafe. Ooh, thanks, Rafe. Fuck. Adam, I think it's time that we did, uh, you know, our clothes. We do every week on the show, where uh, given, you know, we do choose a good and bad feature, uh, we have to pick that at the end of every episode for the next one to come. So, um, basically, Adam and I each have either two good or two bad movies, which we switch up on the quality, and usually we assign numbers between one and ten uh, for those, and uh, whatever uh, choice the other one picks for a number... And whatever that gets closest to from the other person's picks uh, gets us our good and bad feature, usually. Though, uh, keep in mind, those patrons, just to bring them up again, those edge lords as we call them, uh, voted for the good for this upcoming topic. Um, and uh, that topic, by the way, is in honor of Tragedy of Macbeth from one of two Coen brothers uh, is coming out. Uh, we are doing Shakespeare adaptations, which uh, we've wanted yeah. to do for a bit. And we figured this was a solid way to ring in the new year with a bit of culture and high society yes no it's quite yes, yes even though the irony is of course that shakespeare made plays that basically appealed to like the masses in general like shakespeare yeah. was really like the michael bay of his day big blockbuster plays everyone wanted to immediately pack themselves into and see yeah now he's just become some highfalutin british guy oh my god you know that's what 400 years of death will do to you yep fuck and keep in mind also for when we do this picking, there's a certain rule that's implemented for, initially it was for the both of us, uh, called the Godfather rule, where um, Adam and I had a veto in our back pocket that was given to us uh, at the end of our anniversary episode back in May, 
and uh, we each have the ability to use it, um, but only once on a movie. If we hear the other person's choice for, say, a bad movie, and we're like, oh, I don't want to watch that, I'm going to take the cannoli, which thus means that the other choice has to be chosen, which is what happened for the picking on this particular episode. As I mentioned earlier, Adam ended up taking that cannoli on Cinderella 2021, and we ended up with Me, You, Badness, so we ended up with this great episode, so it was totally worth it for you to take that cannoli. That cannoli tastes good, motherfucker. It tastes good in your mouth. No, I'm not really a fan of cannolis. <gasps> Mamma so, mia! Yeah, you know, whatever. You fucking eat them, prick. Well, don't mind if I do! <laughs> uh, but no way. Because <laughs> I still have that veto. So you have yes, your two you bad picks, Adam. You're signed number between 1 and 10 for. So I could potentially take the cannoli here. I haven't so made to take a cannoli. But uh, go ahead. Uh, f- so I'll go ahead here and uh, pick a number between 1 and 10 for your bad choices. I'm going to do number... Uh, seven. Okay. So, at number eight, I have a movie that I recently referenced um, on the Double Redeer, but I have... I just... I have Romeo Must Die. Sorry, Gently mm. Italia. It's... it's Well, that's Ooh, very boy. interesting, and could contrast very well with... By the way, I didn't mention the good pick that the patrons chose... For my choices was Throne of Blood, the Akira Kurosawa uh, adaptation of Macbeth. So that sounds like it'd be a fun contrast, Adam. So you know what? I'm not going to take the cannoli on that. Oh, okay. Wow, great. Uh, <laughs> at number one, I have a movie I've never seen. I just know its reputation and that it's terrible, uh, even though it stars some pretty prolific actors. Uh, it is off like a really not incredibly well-known Shakespeare uh, I have Cymbeline. What? Yeah, it stars Ed Harris. Uh, I'm, I believe like Josh Hartnett or whatever. And it's based on a really not, like I said, famous Shakespeare play. But in the the adaptation, it's like they work at some rundown bar that the, there's bikers and all this stuff. And supposedly it's terrible. Like I think it sits at like a three on IMDb. I have never even heard of this night. Um, okay, yeah, I'm, I am I looked it up and I'm, I'm seeing it here. Uh, yeah, Simbline, which is a Shakespeare play. Uh, yeah, Ethan Hawke, Ed Harris, Milo Jovovich, Sean Leguizamo, wow. Dakota Johnson, Anton Yelchin, what? <laughs> wow. Yeah, this is huge cast. You, Bill Pullman? He won't do yeah, anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but no, okay. Um, so yeah, that's definitely what I had not heard of before, but um, I at least have heard of uh, Romeo Must Die, and I'm guessing that's based on the Shakespeare play uh, Richard Third, right? Uh, Madness of King George. Oh, so close. Uh, but okay, yep. so Throne of Blood and Romeo Must Die. That'll be a very fun <laughs> double feature, <laughs> I'm sure. It's yeah. very interesting. So that ends this episode of Double Edge, Devil Bill. Uh, so in the meantime, everybody, have a happy new year, and more importantly than that, um, avoid werewolves on your New Year's Eve celebrations, because uh, they're everywhere out there. Yeah, and, you know, uh, just, uh, again, fuck you for me, you madness. <laughs> That's the best way to end this year is with a fuck you. How appropriate. Mm-hmm.
This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.